0: hope everyone's suitably refreshed and that the first session wasn't too scary for you. Um, this is Jenny Brown who is going to explain a little bit about both herself and her, her working life but also Jenny Brown Associates which is the agency set up you set up about 10 years ago, didn't you? Um, so I'm going to let Jenny introduce herself and then we'll launch straight into questions. As I said, once I've done the first initial questions, if you have anything that you want to ask Jenny, then just raise your hand, and we'll we'll come to you when there's a where there's a gap. So, welcome, Jenny. Well, thank you. Hello, everybody.
1: Very lovely to be here. I was last uh, in this very building in June for the Writers' Awards, mm-hmm. which and so I know how much talent there is, writing talent there is in this part of the world. I set up Jenny Brown Associates, um, and it was in two thousand two, and it's quite a big leap of faith. I had quite an unconventional background to becoming an agent. I was the first director of the Edinburgh International Book Festival, and I did that for ten years, from 1983 to 91 or so. And then uh, I was organising a campaign called Rediscovery, R-E-A Discovery, if you see what I mean, which was like a National Year of Reading, but in Scotland. And the idea was to try and, you know, try a whole lot of very innovative ways to try and get children and adults together with books, and we had, I think the best thing we did was a book bus which toured all over Scotland, went to the remotest primary schools and also inner-city primary schools, taking books and writers to them, Um, and it's still fondly remembered now. Then I went to the Scottish Arts Council and was Head of Literature for six years and they're responsible for giving out grants to writers, to publishers and to uh, readership organisations And every week, I would get at least one or two phone calls from writers based in Scotland saying, could I recommend an agent based in Scotland? And at that point, there was only one agent based in Scotland who was Giles Gordon, very distinguished uh, agent who worked for Curtis Brown but set up an Edinburgh office. And he had, at that point, I think 140 writers on his books. Now, most agents have... I don't know, between 30 and 40. 40. Yeah. yeah, and that's certainly the number I have now. And I just felt there was an opportunity there. Because so many writers felt very remote from their agents. And I felt, being Edinburgh-based, I could meet up with writers regularly and then go to London and you know and, and be in touch with publishers. But it, th- there was a real opportunity. And so I chucked in my nice pensionable job and started Jenny Brown Associates. A bit of a misnomer because there was just me. <laughs> and, the, and I was looking at that point for the, write, the, for the sort of writing that I felt passionate about, which was literary fiction, um, literary non-fiction, and children's writing. And quite soon I came to realise that the contacts, um, and, and I suppose that the expertise and the reading power in children's literature was quite dis- apart from adult literature. And although I still represent a few writers who write for children... Uh, my main focus, my you know individual focus, is on literary fiction and non-fiction. And then, two years in, I was joined by a chap called Mark Stanton, or Stan, as he's known generally, who had worked at Canongate, and felt, again, he saw an opportunity to have a kind of niche in agenting, which was sports writing. He does sports writing in popular culture. I That man can sell f- football books rugby books, golf books to anybody. But he's also, very early on in his uh, agenting career, he got lucky and there was a manuscript that came in, completely unsolicited. And this, I love this story because it breaks all the normal rules. It just shows that, you know, you can just have sheer luck. Because normally I, what I'd say to new writers is, you know, s- you know, hone your writing. This is what you've been saying. Submit you're writing to competitions, anthologies, build up a track record, etc, etc. This manuscript came in from a writer who was almost at retirement age, had never written before, had never submitted anything before, and he just wanted to start to tell stories. And it was Paul Torday, and his first novel was Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. And Stan, and he only submitted it to Stan, because he'd heard about Stan through Canongate. And Stan thought, this is fantastic. Worked a bit with, with Paul on the manuscript, and then, again, not that I would ever recommend this, submitted it to publishers in December. Now, normally there's a kind of thing about submitting in December to publishers, yeah. but I suppose that was in the good old days when publishers would just go off for Christmas lunches and have Christmas parties. They don't do that sort of thing so much. But anyway, at the time they did, but there was a real, huge interest... Uh, in this manuscript and they think there was a six-way auction and uh, it went for salmon fishing and and its sequel um, went for a significant amount of money we sold world rights to that one it's now sold in 22 countries and the film of the book is coming out in early 2012 and it's got Ewan McGregor and Kirsten Scott Thomas and Emily Blunt in it so go and see it. <laughs> but So that was a really lucky break. And so that's sort of, you know, that's why we all need to read unsolicited submissions. We never know what's going to come through the letterbox or through our inbox next. And, and just random things like that can happen. And, and from writers who haven't got that track record of competitions, etc. Anyway, that, so that was Stan. And just a little... Um, this is supposed to be a two-minute introduction, but no anyway, no, um, this l- um, Stan has now, uh, in a fresh development to his career, he's actually moved to the northeast of England, and he and his wife have just taken over forum books in Corbridge, and so he's still agenting, but his wife, who was a bookseller before, is uh, is now um, bookselling there, and so we are, I suppose we should have a new letterhead, Edinburgh, Edinburgh. Corbridge. Yeah. Yep. Edinburgh and
0: um, the northeast. Yes.
1: Um, and then 2005, we were joined by two more associates, and one of whom is just about to come and speak to us this afternoon. It's Alan Guthrie, who's a noir writer, but he'll he'll tell you why he started to agent as well. Uh, and he, So he's an associate with us. And then Lucy Jukes, who'd before been at Bloomsbury, and then she set up a really interesting company uh, called Barrington Stoke. Has anybody come across it? It's a children's well, I mean, aimed at reluctant readers, and especially with children with dyslexia. And they did brilliant things like designed a new typeface, which without serifs, so it was very easy on the eye, uh, published their books on non-glare picture, paper. Then they commissioned stories and illustrations, so the illustrations would lead the child on uh, with the narrative. So it, it's done very well. So, you know, typically the reading age... Uh, would be slight for a nine-year-old, but the interest age would be slight for a 13-year-old. So she set that up and ran that uh, for quite a number of years and then started to agent children's books with us. And we now have a fifth associate, Kevin Pocklington, who was an intern and made himself completely indispensable. (laughs) That's what happens, isn't it? I've done that. Yeah. (laughs) And he now um, uh, handled our foreign rights, but just couldn't quite resist... Um, from From setting up his own list as well, and his first book, which he agented, was quite problematic, but it's done really uh, the deal was uh, very significant it 's for a biography of Stone Roses, which is coming out with Viking uh, i think next year so that that 's the kind of company so we we don't cover all bases we don 't cover science fiction poetry's really hard. One of my uh, writers. Is also writes poetry, and so I try to help him with his poetry as well. But it's, I think, on the whole, there's no advantage of going through an agent for poetry. You know the outlets, and so you might as well go direct. I don't think I add that much value to that that process. Um, And in my ten, almost ten year of agenting, despite the fact I first came across New Writing North when I did a joint project with Claire about. the short story, and so I, I love short stories. But in my ten years, I've only ever sold two collections of short stories. It's really hard.
0: It is. It is a, a very difficult thing. And um, it's interesting because Jenny's story is actually relatively typical. Most of the agencies that I know of, even if they've now been around for a hundred years, um, start off in the same way as Jenny's. It's it's one person who is either unhappy with their job and decides to do something themselves or sees an opportunity like you Mm. did um, and then the agency grows and grows and grows so um, one of the oldest agencies in fact it might even be the oldest AP Watt Mm. based in London um, which is over 100 years old started off in exactly the same way and I know that even the massive big ones that you you know PFDs Peter Fraser and Dunlop or uh, Curtis Brown it's it's that kind of model. Um, And it's an interesting thing, and we'll talk more about this in in a few minutes, but it's an interesting thing how the writers that you take on, you'll then follow their whole career and you'll be their one person through their whole Mm -hmm. career. It's very unusual for an author to change agents. You will probably change editors, that will most likely happen, and the team around you in terms of sales and marketing and publicity, etc., will change. But your agent will be your constant throughout your whole career, Um, And Carol Blake, who wrote the book, which was over there, who I used to work for, who's in her 60s now, who wouldn't thank me for saying that, um, started off as an agent 30, 35 years ago, and a good part of her list, her her author list, are made up of people she took on in those first four or five years who are now, you know, doyens of of publishing. So, interesting interesting, uh, structure.
1: And that's why it's so important that you try to meet... Uh, an agent before you accept their offer to represent you. Um, And I have to say that, you know, if if one agent is keen to represent you, it's quite likely that other agents are going to be interested as well. And much as we all hate being part of a kind of beauty parade and, you know, doing that pitching, but if if you've got a really strong story, uh, a really strong manuscript, and uh, you've sent it out, you are getting interest from a number try and go and see and meet them and make sure that their vision for your for that manuscript or for your future work you know ties in the w- with the way that you're thinking about it as well um so th- you know to get that relationship right from the outset and then with any luck then it will be the sustaining kind of professional relationship that you have in this f- strange world where editors at the moment, editors are changing jobs an awful lot. Yeah. I don't know what this says, whether this is a good sign, because for a long time there were redundancies in the publishing industry, and then suddenly everybody stopped to their seat, and nobody moved around. But over the summer and this autumn, mm. there's been a huge number of changes.
0: And big high-profile ones as well, publishing directors and editorial directors and things like that, which probably doesn't mean much to you, but an editorial director and a, and a publishing director will sort of set the tone for mm. that type of publishing. Um, So a change at that level will potentially change the type of books that that that, that little imprint or that little publishing house is is going to be looking at. So from our point of view, it is quite significant. Um, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit and just say to you, on a very basic
1: level, what does an agent do? I champion my author's work, and I'm thinking about their career and guiding them through the decisions, that have to be made. And that is my, you know, I've got taken on these 30 or 40 writers, and my first loyalty, when I wake up in the morning, has to be to them, which is often difficult for the new writers who are submitting work, because, you know, you've, if you're submitting work already, you'll know everything takes so much time, doesn't it? You know, you just think, what do these people do? How come they not getting back to me? And it's its because we've, is this, I think, a lot of agents, probably editors as well, are driven by guilt. <laughs> you know, you just feel... You know, you, you, you're trying to be on top of everything. And so, you know, for this, this week, I might have been um, sending out proof copies of an author's book that's coming out next March, and we're trying to get uh, endorsements from other writers. So, you know, that will take precedence over a brilliant submission that I've got, but I just, I just have to do this, these other things first, or um, we're trying to sell it internationally, and we've had some interest, and we're trying to uh, get the best possible deal, and we've, we can talk about rights in, Absolutely. A, in, a, in a while. but um, Sorry, that's, I haven't really answered the question yet. So what do I do? I read my author's work. I advise and help on if I think it needs any editorial work. Because even if it's a work that's under commission from a publisher already, or or even if it's an established writer, it's still, that that advice that Liv was giving you, it still has to be the best it can possibly be um, before an editor sees it. Um, And so an agent's role in in relation to editorial work can can vary, but I think almost every manuscript uh, that passes through my hands you know, I've got some role in in ho- in helping the writer. I think make it even better, and that that goes for proposals as well. If it's a nonfiction nonfiction work, um, and then what we do in relation to submissions is, we used to be have a rolling program of being open to submissions all the time, and then the, f- the sheer volume of submissions just it just got out of control and that's partly because we prefer email submissions and it used to be that the postman would bring 30 jiffy bags a day and we just thought and we would then read them and then send them back in the jiffy bags and we thought this is environmentally very wrong so we now say we'd prefer to have email submissions of course it's very easy it's f- you know cost wise it's it's almost free to do that so we get an enormous number so now what i do is i open my list at certain times where i can gear up and clear the decks mm. and think i'm going to concentrate on submissions and when i last did that was that september this year i got two thousand submissions in a month just to me personally and that is oh, quite overwhelming and that's I'm
0: unfortunately not unusual
1: yeah that's not unusual yeah. yeah so i'm next i'm trying to sort of get to the, you know, really sort of cope with that, and then I'll open my list again in January. Uh, And I think, yes, that's what a lot of people do.
0: And just to, this is something that I get um, asked on the phone quite a bit when when New Writers Phone New Writing North. You work on a commission, which, depending on the agency, is somewhere between 10 and 15%, um, and I think you're within that, aren't you? we're 12 and a half, right in the middle. Right in the middle. Um, So you work on commission, um, and you don't ask any kind of upfront fee from the author when you take them on.
1: That's right. So and it's a major risk.
0: Major risk. And just to explain to everyone here, should there be any doubt, that's how all reputable agencies work. So if you're being offered representation by an agent who's saying, I'll take you on, but it'll cost you 500 quid, run to the hills. Mm. Run, run, run. And more to the point, phone me so that I can blackball them. Um, because I've it happens. It happens. I had a conversation with a writer back in September... Um, and thankfully they phoned me first. So that's not how it should be. A reputable agency will always work on this model. In your packs, as I said, there is a copy of Jenny's um, template for an author agency agreement. I've had a look through it, and I've compared it with a couple of others, and actually there is nothing in there that isn't totally standard. So Mm. that's a very good example for you to have. Have a look through it at your own time. If there are any terms you don't understand, it's worth having a look at well, Carol's book actually is a good one for that. Mm. Carol's book from pitch to publication by Carol Blake will explain that. So we've talked about you've in this scenario, you've taken on a writer, you are working with them to develop their yes, work. Yes, and it might take
1: two or three years yep. before of working with that writer before we it's ready the work is ready to submit and therefore there's going to be any financial gain for either of us.
0: So in that time for you and for the writer, it's it's y- you know, you're a writer, you're agented but actually there's no financial ramifications yet and sometimes it can lead to quite a lot more work, can't it? Yes.
1: And so I th- I guess we're also good at the agent, I, well I'm sure all agencies are, but because of the links we've got with um, now Creative Scotland but and also agencies like New Writing North and others. So we try to think about quite laterally about how writers can make just some money in that time before the... Um, well, even when they've got the deal, let's face it, the advances have been falling quite sharply. And uh, it's a kind of rueful smile around the a- around agency world, you know, £20,000 is the tw- is the new £70,000. And actually, for a novelist, £5,000 is the new 25000 It's They really have yeah. been falling very uh, considerably. So what we're finding, as it advances are very polarized now either I was talking to editorial director at uh, a publishing house yesterday and she had missed out on two books this week that they had gone to I mean actually you know a a book had gone for a hundred thousand pounds they'd bid up to eighty thousand now that's that's relatively unusual now whereas it used to be quite Quite normal.
0: But it is, but I, I should just explain the £80,000 advance. We'll explain a little bit more yeah. about rights and details, but the £80,000 advance, most of the time, that's split into a third on signature of the contract. A quarter now. A quarter. Oh gosh, yeah, think that, yeah. Things have changed in the four years since I left yeah. publishing. So a quarter on signature of the contract. So you'll get. In this example, you'll get £20,000 on the signature of, of, of the contract between you and the publisher. There'll then be a quarter on hardback publication? Quarter delivery. on delivery a and quarter.
1: acceptance Absolutely. of the manuscript.
0: So that's then, you'll get another £20,000 when you deliver the final manuscript, and more to the point, your editor says, yes, this is fine, this is how I want it to be published. And don't be fooled, between those two, there could be quite a gap. Um, yeah. so, you'll then, so then there's a quarter on the publication of the first edition, which may be hardback, it may be paperback and a quarter on the publication right. of the mass market pi- paperback so that could be spread over four years so if you're getting 80,000 pounds okay that's all right you know fine but if you're getting 5 grand if you're getting 20 grand that's not a huge amount you know it's not a huge amount and in terms of your agent your agent's only getting 15% of that and i know your heart bleeds but <laughs> they have to run their agency they have to run their business and they have to in the background they'll be doing other things to help you out so that's just to explain the kind of realities of not many people are J.K. Rowling,
1: <laughs> unfortunately. That's right, and, and uh, I'm asked a lot by uh, writers why aren't there more agents? You know, why you know your you, your list is almost full? Why aren't there more agents? And actually, when I started off, and it is, I think it's true, I think it was Giles Gordon said it'll take you between seven and ten years to actually break even and make and actually make money. So that's why, I mean, it's a, it's a big risk business, as publishing is, mm. as it is for an independent publisher.
0: But speaking positively, yeah. um, let's talk a little bit about rights, because mm. I have to confess, I worked in publishing for about six months before I fully understand what rights were. <laughs> I, I came into publishing in a slightly mm. unconventional way, so I didn't really get a crash course on, on what these terms were. Can you explain to us what is meant by the term rights, and what makes your agencies different in that you do foreign rights yourself?
1: Yes, so when we sell... Right, you've got that lovely novel, and it's got the £80,000 advance. Hooray. And uh, let's say it's Atlantic Books, um, and they have offered £80,000 for the UK and Commonwealth rights. So that means they can publish it in the UK, and they can publish it in uh, the Commonwealth countries, which will be typically... There'll be a list of them appended to the contract. Now, what happens with Canada? We would rather that Canada wasn't treated as a commonwealth for this instance because we want to sell the book and and sell the rights to an American publisher. And if we're very clever, if we're Canongate books who are brilliant at selling rights, they would split off Canada and sell separate Canadian rights and separate American rights. But we also, mainly at the fairs that we go to, that's the London Book Fair, which happens every April, and then Frankfurt Book Fair, which has just been in October... (laughs) we meet lots of foreign publishers, and we're trying to interest those foreign publishers in the translation rights to that book. So just to give you another example, we have a lovely literary novel, debut literary novel, called Vanessa and Virginia, about uh, Virginia Woolf and her sister as they grew up. And it's a a, a fictional take, beautifully done. It's 61,000 words long. That's relevant to the story, the fact it's not too long. And I had huge difficulty selling it in the UK because it would just been not long since that film, The Hours, came out and everybody said, oh, God, we've done Bloomsbury. Oh, yes, it's beautiful, but... And in the end, I sold it, UK and Commonwealth, to, to Ravens Press, who, um, a small Scottish press, who take taken a lot of risks with debut fiction, and they were based in Ullapool. Did anybody know Ullapool? Well, Ullapool got too busy for them, so they've now, they've now moved themselves to the Isle of Lewis. <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) um, so uh, they made a lovely job, but I was at Frankfurt, saw an editor from Harcourt, we are brilliant publishers in the the US, told her about the novel, and they bought it. And we have steadily, over four years, sold foreign right after foreign right in that book. It's 61,000 words long, so it's not expensive to translate. Mm. It's about known people, you know. Still, Virginia Woolf, obviously famous throughout the world. Um, literary novel, and it just fitted in a whole lot of publishers' lists. So even just in the last few months, we've sold, you know, when you'd think that most of the you know, the rights sales would have happened, we've just sold it to Brazil, China, and Finland. And so that's a lovely story. And so that's thir- I think it's 13 rights we've now sold to that one. And we have held on to those rights ourselves as an agency. And the way we sell it is we go to those fairs and we know what uh, those German publishers are looking for and what the Italian editors are looking for. So we know how to target. But we've also got a network of um, sub agents through the world so that we have a brilliant woman um, who does, who actually lives in Settle now, but she uh, does um, Scandinavia and Holland. And we've got somebody else who does Germany, somebody else who does Italy, Korea, Whatever else. And we meet them, obviously, and we're in touch with them a lot um, throughout the year. Um, and they're helping us to identify publishers and submit for on our behalf. And then we split commission. So when I sell to Korea for you, I take 10%. My sub-agent takes 10%. So the commission goes up from our normal 12.5% to 20%. And we do that as well with any film deals we're doing. We have a film agency that we work with in London and we sp- again we split commission but um, so you might think well there's Salmon Fish in the Yemen for instance which we sold to Orion and they sold 22 foreign rights what's the advantage that we hold on as an agency to the foreign rights and I would say you know judge each book by its on its own merits because there are some publishers who are Brilliant at this. I mentioned Canongate. Canongate, you know, they, they have got, always had a very strong rights team. You know, proportionately, they've got more staff, I think, rights staff, than almost any other independent publisher. Um, so if I was offered a, a deal by Canongate, I would be tempted to take world rights, to offer them world rights. Whereas other publishers, why are they taking world rights when they're not good at selling? You know, what's good at selling internationally? Um, and For the author's point of view, that 80,000, right, let's go back to the 80,000 from Atlantic. Mm -hmm. The 80,000 from Atlantic, let's say it was for world rights. Now, they managed to sell it in Germany, before publication, they managed to sell it to Germany, France, and Italy. And say that each of those publishers offers you, offers 10,000 pounds. Well, that's set against your advance from Atlantic. So you're not going to see any of that money until you've started to earn that back, that advance. And that's so, as soon as you, so it'll take, so from the 80,000, there's 50,000 pounds left. That's how the publisher would see it. That's, that has to be set against the future royalties coming from any sale of the book. You with me? Yeah. Whereas if I sell it for you, I, as soon as I get that ten thousand pounds from Italy, I take my commission and it's you know I, I send it to you straight away. Um, so that's what on the financial side it can be adv- advantageous to get your agent to sell the foreign rights just in cash flow terms.
0: And it can also be the case that you sell the rights in Germany or Italy or wherever before you sell them in the UK.
1: But yes, that now that's interesting because it didn't used to be the case. No, Bef- I think we're going to hear a bit about that this afternoon, aren't we? Um, it used to be that any foreign publishers would expect a sale, a home sale, sale in their own country. At Frankfurt Book Fair in October, um, I was meet, talking to German editors, and they were saying, we know how rubbish it is in London, and that e- uh, editors are sitting on their hands and not offering. So just said, it's, we'll, we'll, ha- we'll have a look at it now. We'll have a look at these books now. But I have to say, what they're looking for was quite narrow mm. in focus. And the, the message we, we got back from Frankfurt is that foreign editors are not really interested in non-fiction because they, they prefer non-fiction by home authors that they can promote in their own countries. You know, I can see that. They're looking for women's fiction. They love Kate Morton. You know, if you've read Kate Morton, those of time slip, mm. House of 1910 impacts on the present, that kind of sort of dual narrative... Uh, is very popular in in Germany particularly and uh, they've sold they've bought a number of british books that haven't sold yet here yeah and are are selling them successfully and uh, crime fiction is still
0: crime fiction always does pretty well in europe
1: it does but they want something different they really like female protagonists female cops or female yeah. pis
0: i mean this is interesting because these are things w- slightly we, we'll come back to this later on when we've got a, a wider kind of publishing team but this is something that your agent will be aware of that you won't need to be and, and, and probably won't be at this stage because you're not reading the bookseller every week mm. and you're not getting the daily emails and you're not talking to these editors mm. your agent will sort of have a sense of what people are buying and will have a sense of well if it's not going to sell in the UK I'll offer to take you on anyway and I can probably sell it in Germany and Italy and wherever mm. and you'll be getting that income. Um, even if it's not sold in the UK. I mean, it's worth, uh, in the Writers and Artists Yearbook, which I think is somewhere, I'll come back to you in a second. Um, In the Writers and Artists Yearbook, all of the agent's entries have information about what they do with foreign rights. So if this is something that you're particularly interested in, you can only submit to people who handle their own foreign rights and who will be able to do what Jenny does for hers. You had a question? I'm just going to repeat yeah. that question in case n- people didn't hear it at the back. Um, the lady was just asking whether um, American publishers will look at UK novels which haven't been published in the UK yet. For
1: you I find it very difficult. I do th- I, I find them very resistant. The American editors to looking at material that hasn't sold here first. Yeah.
0: I think that's probably mm. probably mostly the case. They they tend. The US has a different publishing scene anyway. Things work in the US which would yeah. never work here. Um, and tend to work better in Australia, ironically. So sometimes they, they sell things to Australia rather than in the UK. Um, but the the UK kind of list of things which is being bought in the UK will be what they will go by. And, and you'll find people scrapping over, edi- American editors scrapping over what's gone for high advances in the UK. They'll look at that and, and try and, and get those books.
1: Yeah. There's something called Publishers Lunch, where uh, Publishers Marketplace, which um, you can... as an agent, I post deals on that and that's an American based website. Uh, And as soon as I post any British deals on that, I will inevitably get a whole rush of American editors asking to see the material. Which may or may not work. I mean, just books work in different markets. Um, And it's very difficult to second guess what will work. You know, I've just said about women's fiction and this Kate Morton sort of style of fiction. Should you Tomorrow then start a Kate Morton type of novel. I would say no don 't because it 's no good trying to second guess the next trend, and there 's no good trying to catch a trend which inevitably will be almost over by the time your novel's complete. I mean c- crime fiction does seem to be quite a mainstay but, that seems but, to be but quite as you say,
0: b- women protagonists are quite big right now, mm. and, and the deals that are being made are, are pretty much always women detective no. or, or Whatever it mm-hmm. may be, so there are. We'll, we will actually. One of the yeah. things that I'm going to talk about with the, with the panel this, this afternoon is is trends and and, and how where they are of trends and how that matters. Um, partly because I know that um, Emma bess Weatherick from from Little Brown has has got quite a lot to say about that. Um, but that is something which which your agent will be aware of, which which you might not be. Um, because we're based in the northeast, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was how you feel you're being set and, and your agency being in Edinburgh has been an advantage or a disadvantage? Because just so you know, there are no, well, now apart from Stan, yeah. but there are no literary agents in the northeast of England. This is an agency desert. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jenny's actually our nearest agent to, the, to this region.
1: I th- well, it's worked well, I think, for us. Um, when, so when I set up 10 years ago, there was, as I say, Giles Gordon, who has since, well, quite soon after that, tragically died, uh, and Curtis Brown shot there at Scottish office. And so there's ourselves, and then Fraser Ross Associates, some of you might be aware of, who specialised, in, specialised really very much in children's um, writing. And there are um, Maggie McKernan, who was an editor at Orion, is now set up by herself. And Judy Moyer, who used to be with Penguin, again is set up by herself. Um, and so there's a few agencies in edinburgh which is uh, oregon scotland which is good because there's a kind of clustering effect we've made an association of scottish literary agents we do a whole lot of training together we just had brilliant training on digital just two weeks ago um and but we it's very important of course to keep a foot in the london camp and we are our jenny bar associates is member of the association of authors agents so we get all that training and meetings and all the rest of it that that professional association's got. And I think in the Writers and Year yearbook, there'll be a, a star beside any agencies which are members of that uh, association. And some agencies choose not to become members. Most, I say most agencies are members. I think are 200 members or something, but um, there are some that don't. One of the rules of membership, they're not allowed to poach other agencies' authors. And some people do that. Quite ruthlessly, and they're not allowed to be members. Wait, I should just go back. To say about 60 now, after ten years, about sixty percent of our authors are based in Scotland, and obviously we represent quite a few from the north of England, and um, and London as well. So you know, quite a spread now. So it's not. Ju- we don't just focus on Scotland anymore. And you it was a good. It was a good starting point for yeah. us. But we do. I don't represent any writers from overseas because I like to be able to meet up with my writers regularly. And that's very important to me, that we have that personal contact as well as um, you know, the contacts with publishers.
0: Do you find that your writers need to go to London an awful
1: lot? No, but I would always uh, encourage writers to go and visit their editors at some point. What I'd really like is those editors to get... Off their backsides and come and visit <laughs> the writers. I've got a writer up in the. I know, okay, she's quite far north. This is her second book. It's a terrific book. It's really rooted in that sort of north of Scotland. And she's just been assigned an editor who I know has probably has never been north of Edinburgh. And it would make such a difference if she just spent a day, she'd get on an airplane, and she's expecting the author to come to her. We're lucky in Edinburgh because. The publishing world does come to us every two weeks, in, every, for two weeks every summer, for the Edinburgh Book Festival. And it is great having those editors on our doorstep. And it's a kind of immersion for them in what's happening with writing from the north. Um, really important. And we always have a party, and we know, so we welcome them and well, give them a, a chance to. It's a to busy meet this time group. for you, yeah. isn't
0: it? I mean, it's, it's a busy time for us because we try, try desperately to try and catch people yeah. on their way up or back from Edinburgh. We, we do get comments like, oh, no, it's, it's too far. You're going an hour and a half yeah. further north. <laughs> so, you know, there is, a, there, is yeah. th- there is a slight issue with that. But it's a busy time for you in terms of that's a good place for you to actually be talking to editors about potential new projects, or you know, it's not just about the writers who are already published, it's also about what's coming up and, and, you know, new people in post and all this kind of thing, new relationships.
1: Absolutely, and and it's perfectly timed before Frankfurt, because uh, there are certain times of the year, I was mentioning December, kind of jokingly, I think it's probably, you get away with submitting stuff in the first week of December still, but there's certain points of the year when it's really good to submit, and Editors are looking for the sort of big manuscripts to take to Frankfurt and they're reading for kind of mid-August onwards. Mm. And they have a deluge of manuscripts to read. We're all submitting in September, and it's and it's hard for the, the scouts, the sub agents, everybody else to keep on top of that. And then there's Frankfurt, frenetic, and after that, they're all they've all got so many manuscripts you just leave them alone for a while. And that happens not quite to such the same extent, but same sort of thing for london book fair so i think january is a great time to submit
0: january um, yeah. june july
1: yeah
0: and then yeah. like you say possibly you know end of november early yeah. december but again this is the kind of thing that your agent will know that you won't mm-hmm. so it's worth just and in terms of the calendar year agents are busy at the same kind of time as editors are because they're also preparing for a frankfurt book fair mm-hmm. or a london book fair and it's also worth knowing that a lot of April, well most agents are um parents so they're likely to not be around so much in, well, Jenny is, because obviously it's the Edinburgh Book, Fair, yeah. but, uh, Edinburgh Book Festival, but um, school holidays, so mm. August is relatively quiet. There's also a phenomenon in publishing that I wish I still had, which is called the Summer Hours. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> the whole of publishing from literally the start of July, sometimes until the end of September, goes doesn't work on a Friday afternoon. Um, so, trying to get hold of an editor on a Friday afternoon is completely impossible. No. But it's, you know, it's it's a publishing tradition. I don't know where it started, but it, everyone does it. So, <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to you. We'll we'll touch on this later on when we've got the the wider panel. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how you feel that publishing has changed, maybe in the last decade or so, um, because it's my impression that um, whereas it used to be the case that the agent would sell an author to. An editor at a publishing house who had usually been at that publishing house a little while and was likely to stay there for a little while. Um, for a start, e- editors change more often now. But also, publishing houses don't put quite so much weight and time betwi- beh- behind
1: their authors, do they? No. I mean, it, it, it used to be that a, an editor would work with the debut writer, and they wouldn't expect huge things from that first book. They wanted some reviews, perhaps some shortlisting for, for awards, and then let the author... Build you know, as a as a quality writer. A classic instance of this was headline with Andrea Levy. Mm. I think Small Island was her was it a sixth, fifth, or sixth book? Now, actually, would a mainstream publisher stick with Andrea Levy through five books, which did respectably, not but not brilliantly? Now, um, and now the pressure is on a writer to deliver that brilliant debut no- novel and uh, f- to make the impact right there and then. So write, uh, publishers are, this is a real bugbear of ours, but are completely enthralled by Nielsen Bookscan. So if it's a not a debut writer... You might need to um, explain what Nielsen
0: Bookscan yeah, Scan is. that
1: is that where I think 90% of the British uh, book sales are captured by this, which is when you buy a book... It, it registers, whether it's in a supermarket, whether it's on Amazon or in Waterstones or your small independent bookshop. They'll all be feeding information, which comes out weekly on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, and it'll show how many copies of any book's been sold. Now they won't capture absolutely everything. If there's been a special deal, um, that won't, it won't capture that, or if it's been sold in a, you know, an outdoor shop or a garden centre or whatever else. But, by and large, these are quite accurate figures. And what I have to do, if I've got a writer who's had a respectable, one of those respectable, been maybe shortlisted for a few awards, hasn't sold all that many copies, what we love to say is a critical success, rather than a commercial one, um, I am now trying to pitch that writer to a new editor. Because the first one said, oh, you know, didn't do all that great business. And so I'm trying to say, this is the breakthrough novel, if it's true. Um, you know, real success, uh, You know, great platform, he tweets, he blogs, he, you know, very well uh, networked in with the literary scene, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Great for festivals. And, but the first thing they'll do is go tap, 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 tap. Oh, less than 1,000 copies last time round. And so it's a f- much harder job for me to convince that publisher that they're going to do very different business for the, next, for the second book. And it's just, that's become th- the way of the trade. Mm. And it's a really hard thing. But
0: what it does pressure. mean, yeah, absolutely. And what it does mean going back to, to you guys at the stage that you're at <laughs> is that actually making sure that when you submit your work and, and hopefully you'll submit it to an agent rather than a publisher directly... It may be that your agent says, do you know what, I love this book. I, I love this book and I, I love what you've written, but I'm not sure this is the right one to make an initial submission with. Mm. Are you working on anything else? And I've, I've seen that happen. Mm. Um, because inevitably, writers have one or two ideas. You might not be working on them in, in the same way, but you're, you, know, you have the ideas. Mm. So sometimes it's about you kind of noticing an up-and-coming writer yeah. and then developing them yourself,
1: isn't it? That's right. And, and so that we don't go out with that first project... Which may be deemed, by publishing, as too quiet, too quiet to make an impact. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I mean, it's 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 hard. So it's e- so it, it, conversely, it's easier to sell a debut than it is to sell a second or third novel, if that first novel hasn't hasn't just reached <laughs> its potential. What else is quite interesting, and it was, is to see what's happening with these small independents who are taking the risks now in terms of fiction, and. It, it seem, it's really quite hard now to get the chatos and the headlines and all the rest of it to to wake up to a quite a sort of a different kind of novel. Whereas in the l- this last week, we've seen that Myriad Editions, who are based in Brighton, have had a six-figure advance that they managed to sell one of their novels to America, and so you know they're small, independent, mm. arts council-funded. Tyndall Street have had the same sort of thing happen with their books. They've taken the risk. They've probably paid a very modest advance of maybe £2,000. But you know, they've, they've gone on to have books on the Booker shortlist.
0: And they devote their time to their authors and to Abs- a
1: Fantastic editorial uh, f- um. Um, advice. And Legend Press have just yep. sold, uh, had similar success with the foreign deals on a book they took on called Nutmeg. Um, so Again, you know, it would have been a tiny advance. It's a small publisher, but they've made it work in different territories.
0: And in terms of submissions, it, I would I would always recommend that you try and go through an agent and you try and get yourself an agent first and foremost. But if either you decide that that's not for you or it doesn't work out, it, it, you don't find the right person, places like Tyndall Street Press, mm. um, up here we have Tonto Books, yeah. which is based in Newcastle. Um, the... Snow Books, which is, um, they do non-fiction more than Mm -hmm. fiction, I think. But, you know, these are small presses. If you are interested, there's a whole load of list of small presses on our website. But these are all places that will look at your manuscripts even if you don't have an agent. Whereas Random House, Hodder Headline, Orion Books, they they just won't, they don't have the time. So you can always go straight Mm -hmm. to a publisher if you either decide not to have an agent or want to come back. Hello. If you don't mind, mm. I'm actually going to pause that yeah. question because that's one of the main things that I want to ask the plenary board this afternoon. Mm. Um, but I will make sure that we cover that this afternoon if you don't mind. Yes?
1: Well, it's interesting because when we did the research, um, we did qualitative research and Book Marketing Limited did the qu- quantitative research on it. And it seemed to be, you know, we all think, well, I think, short stories, how perfect they are. We're all so busy, you could read a short story. And what the response from the readers that were interviewed came back was, we're all so busy, so that when we read, we want to invest in a set of characters. And we want to have those set of characters tomorrow night and the next night, rather than having to start off with a whole different set of characters for each short story. Um, And the readers also seem to want... um, short stories to be felt, found in magazines mm. as a mix uh, rather than collections. However, having said that, I see that Bloomsbury's dubbed 2012 the year of the short story because I think they've got a number of short story debuts coming out. I wonder how many of those they have taken as part of a deal with a novel. Because what will often happen is if there's some outstanding short stories... A publisher may say, we'll sign you up for two or two-book deal, maybe a three-book deal, or we'll bring out the novel first, maybe two novels first, and when you've got a, a reputation, then we'll bring out the short stories. I mean, it may not be... I haven't checked with those Bloomsbury ones. Um, and I think the situation isn't as dire as it was, but it's it's still it's still jolly hard.
0: Short stories do sell slightly better in the States. Yeah. Um, and yes, short, they do. short story publishers in the US will take on or will certainly look at submissions from UK based writers um, often without a pu- uh, without a, an agent um, so it's worth doing your research in terms of uh, short story publishers or you know places where you might be able to sell them in, in the US and Australia actually have a look at Australia as well yeah. yep yep
1: with, with you're two are oh um I've had a very mixed experience of this, and I've literally had the um, experience of having a writer that I've worked with before, and she comes along with her friend, and they've got this great idea for a new series, fiction, da da da. da I think it does sound. Good. I said, let's put an agreement in place. The mm-hmm. Society of Authors have got a very good template for a co-author agreement uh, on their. I think it's on their website. And I said, let's put this in place. No, no, no. We'll never fall out. We're such good <laughs> friends. Guess what happened? Big time. Yeah. I, ha- I have scars still from this fallout experience. I think it can work, but it's, it, it's tricky. Is it fiction or non-fiction you're thinking about? Who does the publicity? You know, the p- publishers won't want, on the whole, both of your names on... The, the book uh, they want one author's name, they want one author to do the publicity, and this was a problem uh, area that the one who was in the who didn't get the limelight felt overlooked. Ooh. It's, uh, yeah. yeah oh but do look at that um, do look at that a- a- agreement the Soci- oh, this is, yeah. Society
0: of Authors if you've not heard of it the Society of Authors is wonderful it's a fantastic resource mm-hmm. although part of what they do is only open to already published authors in order to join you have to be um, have to have a book deal um, their website has, is a fantastic resource it's got lots of information which I would really urge you to to have a look at and spend time looking at it because um, they're really good and I th- think they occasionally
1: run workshops and things don't they They did they'd had a terrific the society of authors in scotland just had a really good um conference at the end of september which sounds rather similar to the one that literary consultancies think of it's about authors taking charge um and looking at you know digital possibilities what authors can do there um and almost the theme of the conference was do you actually need a publisher anymore Mm. It was yeah you know, it was terrific and I think quite a lot of the information is I think on their website still it's worth it I knowing. would I always recommend uh, the authors I represent to ju- sign up for the Society of authors because you do that get this terrific quarterly newsletter you get um, if you if you don't have an agent they will vet your contract free and they do it very quickly and give you very good advice so for some 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 people would, um, approach me. Perhaps they're only ever going to write one book. Perhaps it's a specialist book, not my area, and or I just can't take them on. I'd say you know go to Society of Authors, pay your seventy or eighty pounds a year, tax deductible against your any income you're getting as a writer, um, and they'll they'll vet the contract. You know, quite a lot came from abroad, even though. And we have, you know, every week our website, uh, Google, give us information about where our website's been viewed. And some, I must be on some Australian um, website saying I'm accepting submissions. I'm getting masses from Australia, and certainly Australia's on our what do you call that? Google informatics or whatever. Yes. It's Australia's showing as a bright green at the moment. So much activity. Um, <laughs> Uh, so there's a lot I can just instantly think this is the, or science fiction. I say I'm not interested in science fiction. I get a whole lot of them, or children's uh, that I just immediately give to my um, my colleague. So there's quite a lot of sort of you know direct them off in different places. You still but go through several sifts, don't you? I do, and then I think the time I'm read just the time to sort of deal with the submissions is two hours a day which is quite a big chunk out of your working life. But you might, you know, if there's something there that really interests me. So I have a very trusted reader that anything I think this could be really interesting, I send to her, and often I'm simultaneously reading it and waiting for her feedback too. And if anything that I like, I then obviously ask to see the rest of it. Those, what Liv was saying about find out as much as you can about the publisher or agent, do that, I mean, target I've heard Simon Truen, really brilliant agent, say it can take two months just to find, to target and research the agent that's right, going to be right for Mm. your work, or the agents. Um, I took on somebody recently, and she had obviously just looked at my list, and it wasn't a case of sometimes, because I say, Please target in, in my submission instruction of the website, and obviously somebody said, "I really admire list." I, you know, I feel I've got a lot to do uh, in, in common with X, Y, Z, and they're so, you know, I know they haven't read them. They're just trying to, <laughs> but you know, but this this particular one was somebody who had obviously knew my books and the sort of things I took on, and so from that start, I was kind of predisposed to uh, to want to read more there's just an a, just that pitch just that enticing pitch that just got me um that i just wanted to know that narr- what the narrative was all about that
0: homework can really pay off oh, really? especially yeah. in this day and age when actually you can you can go onto the bookseller website you can type in the name of the agent and see what recent deals they've done if you yeah. want um absolutely you most agencies on their website have a news feed of what they're doing most agents tweet you know so you can follow them on twitter etc um the good example that i come back to and again it's because i used to work there but i worked for an agency called blake friedman which was set up by carol blake and julian friedman carol did the books and julian did the film you would not believe you would not believe the number of people who would address the letter dear blake Mm -hmm. and it's a silly thing and it is a silly thing but immediately carol who hasn't got the Biggest patients in the world would just go, oh, for goodness' sake! And it would—she'd read the rest of it, but it would put her in a bad mood. And you want your agent to be reading it, going, oh, they know that I've just sold German rights to whatever it was, and they've been looking at my list, and they know what I'm. Oh, this person knows what they're talking about. It helps, you know, it helps.
1: And agents are—you know—I'm here today. Lots of agents are doing some similar events. Absolutely. So there's a great opportunity to meet agents or editors make contact with them afterwards, just use the fact that you've said hello always in it's sort of introductory letter. Because, um, you know, that can make a difference as well. What else? Uh, predisposed to want to read it. Uh, there's a whole lot of things that people have done in the past, like sent me sweeties <laughs> in, with <the laughs> in with the manuscript. But, you know, that's quite dodgy, really, and they're stuck together. Oh, there was once that I had... Uh, A CD was sent in with it, and somebody said, I want you to be in the mood to read this manuscript. So I I put it on, and it started off with, you're all too young to remember this, the Archie's Sugar Sugar. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of related to the story. Um, What else? we? Oh, we've had, oh, I don't know, paperweights sent to us and then inserted into the paperweight somehow very ingeniously was a website address. that We would look at the website. That's all that came in a box. And they would take it out. And
0: are you saying this helps or are you saying it hinders? I, I
1: remember that. I remember <laughs> the approach. But the one I remember... Sorry about this, everybody. You know, Decency guarding, guarding before I say this. Right, this guy just wrote to me with his manuscript saying... And he really bigged himself up. And I heard all about his marriage and why. This is all on one, the first front page. Why his marriage had uh, his wife had been wrong in their marriage da 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 da, and then, finally he said, "And I am told I have the, vo- the voice that would give the very angels multiple orgasms." And couldn't believe it, and I, I, t- I just put it straight <laughs> in so the did, bucket. Did you phone him up? <laughs> no, no. But Stan said, "Well, why didn't he phone you then?" But I wrote, okay, I remember his approach, but I don't remember anything about his work <laughs> except that I didn't want anything to do with him. And that sort of brings me to a real point, which is, you know, it is a professional relationship. You want it to become a friendship between you and the writer, your agent. You want your agent... Because you, you, you've got so much in common and you've got some shared purpose. But it is, from the outset, it is a professional relationship. So I don't... I don't favor those jokey approaches, I mean, funny enough, Stan, he's happy with them. But
0: I don't know many agents who do, actually. No. They're so busy that, that professional is, is the yeah. way forward. I've actually just noticed the time, and I realised I'm going to have to wrap up, but I know there were a few questions. Are they specific to Jenny, or can I ask them of the board this afternoon? What you've heard earlier yeah. today.
1: Um, it's. I think that's an interesting question because if have I got room in my list? I often wonder for another Glasgow-based detective, and am I going to be able to sell the current my current writers write with that Glasgow-based detectives as effectively? as I'm trying to also pitch another one. Um, so that's a very st- specific instance. I would say you know probably a better another agent is going to be better, um, but. I love literary fiction, you know. I've got, you know, any amount of reading passion for, for other, you know, books of, of that type. So, I think agents do tend to specialise. I've got a kind of quirky nature thing going on, and I love those. You know, I, Sarah Maitland's book of silence. I was just delighted to work with her on that, mm-hmm. and she's got a fantastic. So I'm going on too long now. No, no, you're. I've sorry. got a fantastic. She's got a fantastic book coming out all about forests and fairy tales, and next year is 200 years since Household Tales and Grim, uh, and it's, I think it's going to be wonderful. And I've got an, another few writers, I'm, I, one be, I've got an Antarctic thing, which is going to be published by Chateau next year. And so I love that sort of book, and that's quite specific, but I would, you know, welcome more. And I think, you know, editors expect that kind of submission from me as well. Definitely, yeah. Uh, it's very... But if they haven't shown that interest, um, it's quite difficult to go back with the same piece of work um, and, and expect them to be interested again because when they're reading it, they're often thinking what they didn't like first time round. And it's true. My What I do when I take on a writer and it's ready to submit, I don't submit to every single editor simultaneously what I would typically do is submit to absolute target but sm- to maybe six seven editors now that if if six or seven editors all get back and it's the same kind of reason they're all giving why they're not going to take it there's an opportunity then for me to work with a writer and then resubmit but to a fresh lot of editors if you've already submitted to I would say in the UK, if you've submitted to 12, 15 editors, you've pretty much... Pretty much it. Yeah, Uh, before you get to the smaller independents. So there is... You know, I just feel there's an opportunity to fix then, Uh, fix something that's wrong, and then go out... But go out freshly, unless, you know, know, like the chain thing, but unless an editor's loved it, but just not quite taken on. I'm sure we'll get to this later, but it used to be that an editor would say oh, there's one or two things I think need doing, but I'm going to buy it now. Not they so don't much. don't tend to do that in the same we'll, way. Like
0: you say, we'll come yeah. back to that this afternoon. Um, I know I know there are more questions. Um, I, we have actually run out of time. But if you write questions, if if they are specific to Jenny, just put Jenny on the top of it, and I'll ask them this afternoon. We've got more time this afternoon when um, we've got the, the plenary session from kind of 3.15ish. Um Thank you, Jenny, for being an all-round legend of publishing. Um, We're going to have just five minutes just so that I can make sure that the next speaker is all mic'd up and everything. Um, Obviously, feel free to wander off if you want. But if we can have you back here, are you happy, Caroline?